Hello, and thank you for listening to this Fun Board Council podcast. This is a 15 minute excerpt of our longer podcasts, and the full podcasts are available exclusively to Fun Board Council members via their member portal. If you like what you hear and you'd like to find out more about membership, please do contact us via our website at funboards.org. In the meantime, happy listening. to do to begin with is just ask you to sort of set out in your role what are the main things that are concerning you and the CSSF at, at, at the moment? Well first of all thank you very much for, for inviting me and uh, uh, I, I would say there are things which may concern me but there are also things which are positive uh, and uh, I, I would like to start maybe with that. So <clears throat> I think over the past years we have seen a number of, of areas, uh, gov you mentioned governance, you mentioned the importance of board governance here where uh, I think there has been a lot of awareness uh, also in terms of, of the key topics and I'm sure we are going to address some this afternoon. Uh, now, this doesn't avoid that from time to time we do on-site inspections and uh, we also do some off-site uh, work which you do not see but which happens behind the scenes and you will never hear me that the one is more important than the other one otherwise I get in trouble with my teams. So, But um, just speaking about some of the more visible results for you, uh, on, on the governance inspections which we have done in management companies uh, which to some extent also cover uh, investment funds, uh, the key topics which come back is the oversight of, of uh, delegated activities. Now, this is certainly for you nothing really new because I think um, uh, Luxembourg is a good place uh, and uh, it is a place which shows how delegated activities can work. That's certainly what we also have always conveyed to ESMA, to the European Commission, also doing recent reviews on IFMD and others. Um, but there's a price to pay for it, which is oversight. So I think it's always the, the principle that you delegate activities, but you never delegate uh, responsibility, which I think is, is, is nothing new for you. So the key topics here would be uh, especially the lack of initial or ongoing due diligence on delegates. Now, um, delegation, by the way, is not just for investment management. It is also for uh, administration activities. It's also for distribution. We see that under IFMD2, probably there will be a clarification how far delegation uh, is really delegation uh, if we speak about distribution. Um, but 44% of all our findings relate to delegated activities, being it initial due diligence, ongoing due diligence, and also the, the key performance indicators which you get during the normal life, actually, of, of the delegations. Another big issue, or big part, not big issue, is risk management. And I'm just saying it here because it's, it's, it's really a topic not to be underestimated. I certainly know that you do not underestimate it. Um, so it's about the risk profiles which we see uh, on the product side and it's also about liquidity risk monitoring and this finding for me is a little bit astonishing uh, in a context where uh, liquidity risk management has been the topic over the past two to three years for, for reasons which are outside of you and my control by the way and it's going to be continuing to be a, a key topic. And then the other area is governance, it's everything which is linked to internal control control procedures. Now, because of the prominence of risk management, allow me maybe to take that as an example to show you which type of, 
of findings we have. So when we look at the internal control functions, and my compliance colleagues will now be pleased to hear that, 52% of the findings are for risk management, not for compliance. Um, <laughs> Now, um, uh, but it also is interesting to see which type of, of findings do we have, and, and that's mainly, again, linked to uh, incomplete risk management uh, procedures and policies. It's about uh, stress testing methodologies. Uh, it's about uh, discrepancies between the data which your risk managers would use and which you receive afterwards as an exception reporting. Uh, and, and I think it, it, there's also an important element here, which is the delegations within the group, uh, we fully acknowledge and appreciate that the expertise is in different parts of the group and we hope also in Luxembourg. But it's also important that if it comes to flagging important issues, that uh, when we speak to the management company in Luxembourg and to the risk manager, that we uh, get not just the feeling but also the comfort that um, it, is, it is under control. So we appreciate that you have for specific topics specialists in, in other parts of the world, but it's also about bringing all these results uh, together in, in Luxembourg. And finally, um, as I always say, I would not do my job if I wouldn't speak about AML very briefly. Um, a lot of people hate me for that, um, but, um, uh, and it's not because of the FATF visit. Uh, let me be very precise, because what I can report here is tangible good results. I mean, we started three years ago with an AML questionnaire where we always gave a feedback to the industry and we see that there have been improvements. Uh, so the inherent risk remains the same, but the mitigators have improved in some areas. And, and I think that's also quite powerful message to give to you. For that reason, we have also recently updated our subsector risk assessment for the collective investment sector. Now, where we still see sometimes issue is again about the oversights. A lot of people delegate KYC, transaction monitoring, to a third, a third party. So it's also the type of oversight which you do. Uh, it's an issue sometimes still regarding beneficial ownership identification for dedicated funds. So this would not be the widely distributed uh, usage, for instance, but this would be really uh, the, the, the fonds dédiés, uh, like we call them in French, where you have true beneficial owners behind. And then uh, also for compliance officers, the, the reliance and sometimes the over-reliance on systems. Because when you delegate to somebody, of course, you entrust that function for doing the work on your behalf. But if it comes to detecting high-risk scenarios, if it is about um, really uh, exploring the results from your screening, for instance, well, the compliance officer needs to know what goes into the box and what is happening in the box. So it's the avoidance, what I call the black box syndrome. So I'm not expecting, and we at the CSF are not expecting compliance officers to be IT techies or, uh, you know, but is at least to know really what is happening and not to have uh, some transaction monitoring done on some parameters decided by somebody else. So these are a little bit, in a nutshell, the key points. That's a very good start, isn't it? Can I just pick up on one point that you made, um, which is uh, delegation within a group? And you seem to say that the, uh, that should be treated in the same way as delegation outside the group. And what um, form of contract would you expect? I mean, if you delegate outside group, you'll have a formal contract. You're going to do this and I'm going to do that. Do you expect that to happen within the group as well? 
Yeah, I, I would say from a pure legal point of view, and I, I just start with that, Philip, and, uh, because I, I think from a legal perspective, we cannot make a difference between an intra-group and an extra-group outsourcing. Now, the reality is, of course, if you are within a group, uh, you have, I think, a completely different uh, leverage, you know, on the resources, I would hope, mm -hmm. so that at least you speak to your colleagues uh, in, in some other jurisdictions, and uh, you're absolutely right to say that you would have a formal contract in the case of an extra-group outsourcing, intra-group, we would ex at least expect to see some type of service level agreement which clearly defines who is doing what, you know, and which type of reporting needs to come back to the man. Thank you. And the other thing I was going to ask you before I move on to some completely different things, given that this is the Fundball Council, um, what, what do you see as the role of the board in um, these matters? And how do you think, on the whole, um, uh, Luxembourg boards are performing, if I can put it that way? Mm -hmm. you've, you've looked at various other aspects of um, what's going on. So on the board governance, how, how do you see it? The, uh, it's a question which at first sight is easy. It's a little bit more complex to respond to because there are different possibilities. Yeah. So I would start with the, uh, with the board of a, of a management company. Um, and there you have also two, uh, well, of course, the board, I would expect the board to have the oversight, you know, uh, over the whole processes, to be in a position to, um, to really vet what is, what is going on, like you would have it in a board of a corporate and of a bank. So it's a little bit the same feature. Now, where it becomes a little bit more complex, if, if the company has issued FCP, so, um, so non-legal, non mutually incorporated funds in Luxembourg, uh, then, of course, the management company becomes de facto also the uh, manager uh, and responsible for the operation of the fund. And then, of course, the role of the board of directors of the management company equals that what you would see a fund board, because there is no fund board in such a constellation. Which brings me to the second point, which is the res roles and responsibilities of a fund board. We know that the fund normally appoints the external auditor and the management company. And then, obviously, that's the first level of of delegation, I would say, and, and then obviously you have the whole delegation chain. I think the, uh, the, the view of a fund board, I think, is much more towards, of course, protecting investors, which is its first role, whereas uh, a management company, which, for instance, would be appointed, uh, has a different role to play in the whole chain. So I think it's important that everybody understands what type of delegations are in place and uh, who is responsible at which stage. So that's what I mean. It's more difficult to answer your question because you may have a variety of different models, you know, and... Um, but by the way you're, you're uh, talking, you don't see any major governance problems in, in the boards and board structures here. Uh, we do not see major issues. What we uh, sometimes see, um, and, and that's uh, simply because well, we have the usage, we have the alternative funds. On the alternative funds, we have a directive, the IMMD1, which, uh, which uh, also defines uh, a, a whole number of, of responsibilities. And actually, uh, for alternative funds, we do not grant a general license to operate alternative investment funds, but we, we grant a license per investment strategy almost. And the reason why we are doing this is to avoid problems at the board level. It's, it's not to, to sanction anybody, uh, but it is uh, really to say at the beginning, 
well, if you want to operate an alternative funds, which for instance invest into cryptos or which invest into real estate, is to make sure that you have the right knowledge, skill set at the board level also to, uh, to, to perform your oversight duty, you know, you, you do. And, and what we normally there uh, ascertain is that the, bowl, the, 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 um, the board as a collective has really uh, the ability, you know, to do it. So, uh, and that's why we, uh, we are doing it that way. It's also to avoid surprises afterwards. So uh, I think it's, it's in that sense, it may be seen as a little bit more restrictive at the beginning, but once it's, it's done, it's done. And uh, normally then afterwards, we do not see any uh, major issues. I think speaking about the areas where we now see a lot of demand, it is uh, also uh, in in direction of ESG, where obviously there are more, and it's a new type of skill set, which is also required. And that's, I think, one of the big challenges which you see and which we are also going to see. Yeah. You've read my mind. That's where I was going to go <laughs> next, was it was ESG. Uh, we'll come back to the board responsibility in a moment, but more generally, I, I mean, I've described ESG in Europe um, only because you, you've got directives and things here uh, as looking like a car crash. Um, I, I've got a real concern that although it's all been put together in, with the best interests of people in mind, it will be so complex and uh, so arguable, a lot of it, that um, it may not do the job it was intended to uh, for. That's fine, except that you've got to supervise it. So what's your attitude and how are you going to do that? Well, I think our objective is to avoid a car crash. <laughs> um, but, but I think, uh, yeah, I, th I think it's, this is one of the topics where everybody is learning and learning a lot within a very short time period. And why I'm saying this is because it is a good example, uh, in my view, where regulation well where you have a political intention which you have to start with which is absolutely uh, fine but then uh, you see that uh, the way how you implement it is obviously not that that easy to achieve and i think for you as well as for us as a regulator it is a, a real challenge that standards and i'm speaking about the regulatory technical standards just as one example come very late that there are still discussions at the political level where people have different views in Europe about nuclear power, for instance, just to take that example. And, uh, and, and I think that's, that's not really helpful. And, and I think, um, uh, however, there is, there, there's another point uh, here, which is a very general point, even outside of ESG. It's important that whatever you promise, whatever you sell to your investors is also what, what you do at the end of the day. So, and you have seen that my US colleagues, when they started investigations, uh, they couldn't even speak about greenwashing uh, because uh, for, for them, it's even a different um, uh, legal uh, area or even, even absence of legal area to, the, to some extent but they speak simply about mis-selling. And I think that's, that's the point where we have always to be aware. Uh, it's that um, in the absence of everything being 100% clear that we are certain about what we want to do and what we, what we want to do, that we are transparent to investors and that uh, we, we do that in, in, in that way. Now, we, we have, um, from the CSF perspective, we have received clearly um, 
a mandate from, from ESMA, and I'm just uh, quoting to you the title of the document, is ESMA Supervisory Briefing on Sustainability Risks and Disclosures in the Area of Investment Management. So that's a paper which has been recently issued, which tells national control authorities what they have to do as a minimum. We hope you enjoyed that uh, 15 minute excerpt. If you did and you'd like to find out more about how you can access the full recording uh, or about FBC membership in general, please contact us via our website at funboards.org.